0: It's Yolo Kali. What's
1: up? The following program was brought to you by Yolo Kali. Keeping it weird since 1997. Oh. <laughs> Who's that? Who are you? You're not allowed to be in here.
2: Hey, yo, somebody get their grandma. <laughs> huh? 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 Now nah, you got to do it like this.
1: What's Up is back with another two hours of fully youth-produced content Tapping into the matters and concerns of youth in Chicago
3: As well as all the crazy, wacky, tea-sipping, gossips-filling, weird shenanigans that we, youth, get up to
4: Listen to your own risk, because your mind might explode The chances are low, but never zero
1: So strap in and let's get into the show!
5: Welcome to What's Up. My name is Jasmine, and I'm joined today by Madu, Ariandi, and Sam. This episode is all about the arts. Whether you sew, crochet, or illustrate, there's bound to be something for you today. We will be talking about fashion, art and illustration, the DIY scene, burnout, and the gaming industry. Stick around for all of this and more on this episode of What's Up.
2: Aren't, Aren't you, glad you glad we didn't, didn't say crafts? crafts?
5: To begin today's episode, we'll be playing a quick audio piece on fabric quality before getting into a discussion about our favorite fashion fits. Ooh, this top is only $7 and it's so cute. Add to cart. Is that really the best choice? What? Who are you? I'm the information fairy. Now step away from the online cart. Ugh, what's the big deal? The shirt is cheap and cute, plus it's perfect for Hailey's 2000s party. So you're gonna buy a top you'll only wear once? I'll wear it again, I'll wear it a bunch of times. Oh really, sure you will. But what if it doesn't last that long? What do you mean? Hun, it's a $7 top. The quality is gonna match the price. Ugh, you're right. Why is that anyway? Why can't I get a cute top for cheap and have it last a while? Well, there's a couple of reasons. The first being the production process. You see, there's three things companies take into consideration when making a garment. Functionality, appearance, and manufacturability. When more focus is put on costs, something else has to give, and that is usually quality. Switching out high quality fabrics and thread for cheaper options to keep production costs down. Fast fashion brands know their customers probably won't wear their clothes too often and will be eager to jump on the newest trend for the lowest price. And so the quality of the garment is thrown out the window In this case, manufacturability is favored over functionality. Wait, so it's partially my fault my clothes suck? You said fast fashion brands know their customers want their clothes fast and cheap. Am I the problem? Well, kind of, but only partially. Customers are primed to think more equals better. It's a mix between planned obsolescence and perceived obsolescence. And this isn't a new thing at all. Planned obsolescence is when companies purposely make products in a way so that they will break down and be unfixable. That way you are forced to buy a new one. Think Apple making it impossible to change your phone battery without paying them an arm, a foot, and a leg. The phone battery is going to break down, but unless you want to pay hundreds of dollars to replace it, you might as well buy a new phone. Now, perceived obsolescence is when companies advertise newer products and make older ones seem less desirable. This makes consumers think, oh, well, now I have to, for example, get the newest heels. My old ones are so last year. For another example, think Stanley Cups versus Hydro Flask. Next year, what will be the next big metal water bottle everyone will be obsessing over? Meanwhile, their perfectly good Hydro Flask and Stanley Cups will lay unused under their kitchen sinks. There is no demand or real need to buy new things, with minimal differences to their older counterparts, but consumers feel the need to buy them. It's all in their head, aka consumer engineering, and it's a hard mindset to break. Well, that sucks. It sure does. Hmm, but what about higher-end brands? I bought a pair of jeans a couple months ago, and they're so thin. Thin into the last pair I bought, which was from the same brand five years ago. They're the same jeans from the same company, shouldn't they be the same quality? You have to think about the price, are they the same price they were five years ago? Yeah. Exactly. They probably don't cost the same to make today, but companies change the way things are made to keep prices low, especially when they have to compete with fast fashion brands like Zara, Forever 21, and Chien. Fast fashion companies like Zara famously, as stated in the New York Times, can get a new product designed and in stores in as little as 15 days. High-end brands are then forced to cut corners to stay competitive. Think about the fact that Shein was the most googled fashion brand in 2022. They beat Nike. Okay, but, and this may sound shallow, why should I care about all of this? Like I said, it's cute and cheap. You mean aside from the mass amounts of waste fast fashion produces, the poor working conditions, and the human rights violations? Point taken, point taken. Exactly. But I do recognize not everyone may be able to afford to drop 50 bucks on a pair of good jeans. Fast fashion for some people isn't about fashion, but affordability. So think about this, the less fast fashion you buy, the less will end up flooding thrift stores. And as an added bonus for people who like to sew and upcycle, the time and energy you put into upcycling will be on garments that will actually last. You like to sew, right? Think about that t-shirt quilt you wanted to make. You can't make a cute t-shirt quilt if none of your t-shirts last that long. You're right again, so what should I do now? Well, for starters, take care of things you own now. Actually follow the washing labels and treat your clothes with care. Try not to buy from fast fashion brands. And for the love of God, don't buy things you know you'll only wear once. Now take that tube top out of your cart. Ugh, fine. There, done. Thanks, Information Fairy. No problem. Anytime. Bye! All right. So that was my audio piece. I hope you all enjoyed it. I hope it was very informative. Um, I'd like to start off this discussion by asking y'all, what is your go-to fit? Like, you know, what's that fit or your everyday fit? Um, I'll start off with mine and we can pass it around. Uh, So for me, like the outfit that I feel like the most confident in is like my completely pink outfit. It's a white bodycon dress layered with a pink skirt that has like cherry print on it. And then I pair it with my Air Forces that have like an iridescent swoosh, um, a pink Eda bag. And then my chunky um, sensory toys that I use as bracelets. And then also uh, little earrings that say baby on them. And then a silver necklace that says Scorpio. Uh, so that's my personal favorite fit. Uh, but what about y'all?
0: Well, I know for me, I have this very iconic green vest that you can see on my Instagram and you know i like to always wear it with like what is it it's like a like a green striped shirt underneath it and i always pair it with like a good like jean shorts <laughs> and i mean every time i wear it i feel like you know, i'm like i feel cute it's good <laughs> and so yeah that's kind of one of my iconic outfits that i like to wear so yeah what about Ariandi over here
6: um well, a lot of my outfits, to be honest, I look back to what my brothers wore in, like, the early 2000s or, like, what, like, video game characters would wear. Like, Kingdom Hearts is, like, a big inspiration of mine for my fashion. So I wear, like, a lot of, like, baggy, like, over T-shirts and stuff and, like, a lot of, like, graphic tees. But, like, simple, keep it simple. And really baggy pants and, like, like sneakers, usually Cortezes or, like, Air Force Ones just because, like, it's, like, really early 2000s. Mm-hmm. That's
2: about? really cool. I would say... My style is kind of just a little bit from everywhere. So my go-to outfit is definitely just a really cute t-shirt or a crop top or a t-shirt that I made into a crop top. Uh, And I would definitely uh, pair it with like a cute baggy pant situation, maybe like jeans. I usually like jeans because I like to write on them and draw on them whenever. Um, And then that would be paired with this really cute brown Andean uh, llama wool jacket that I got when I was in Ecuador. It's my favorite thing ever. I wear it so much I broke the zipper, uh, but I still wear it. And for shoes, I would definitely go with the shoes I'm wearing now, which are my Adidas uh, Dame 7 Fire Inside shoes, which they're bright orange, and they're my favorite color. Uh, But yeah, and I always, always have accessories, like my rings, or for, like, today, I wore this really cute, fuzzy, like, pink bucket hat, and I always have, like, a hat on. Um, but, yeah. All right, good. I, I love all you guys' outfits. Um,
5: but I want to know now, so, uh, you can, you know, wear things, different outfits for different places. Uh, I want to know, like, when you're wearing like this, like, how are you treated, like, and, like, in what context? So, for me, like, when I wear the pink outfit, I wore it to the Glass Animal concert last year, and, like, I felt like I was on fire, like, the baddest in the room, because, Everyone was wearing like such bright colors and it was just super fun. But then I wear the same outfit in my neighborhood and like I feel like I'm just like a sore thumb thicking, sticking out, especially when I wear it to the grocery store. Cause like, you know, I just want to look cute going grocery shopping that oh, all the women in the grocery store would be looking at me like, why is she doing this? Like, she's doing the most, so. They mad. Yeah, they <laughs> mad. And, like, it sucks, you know, like, your fashion's, like, you know, like, kind of like an extension of your personality, which, like, yeah. mine's, like, either two sides. Either I'm wearing completely back, um, which, what I'm wearing right now, or I'm wearing, like, all pink. And so it's like, I want to just wear what I want to wear and not, you know, look at like, I'm crazy. Mm-hmm. So I want to know what you guys' experiences wearing different things. I want...
0: <laughs> Yeah, I know for me, it's, like, the exact same. Like, when I go to concerts, like, I go all out with my outfits. And then, like, when I wear, like, those exact same outfits to, like, a Mexican grocery store, like, Cermac Produce, like, I be getting, like, some couple side eyes from, like, you know, like some moms. And I, th- I think it's kind of funny, but, yeah, that's kind of how it always goes for me. So, how about, how about Ariandi or Maru?
2: i would say well like with the outfit i just described i usually like feel really comfy and i feel like people pick up that vibe too that i'm just like comfy and i'm chilling and like you know i, I like what i'm wearing and i get to pick like all of my pieces myself but when i am wearing that crop top on those days like you know it's hot it's summer coming soon i i do feel the same way where like people. Are like you look too comfy, and I'm like, uh. <laughs> I'm just trying to, you know, be relaxed and stuff. But with my jacket specifically, because I wear that so much, people always asking me like, "Oh, where'd you get it? You know, like where where can I find something similar?" And I always have to say I got it in Ecuador because I did, and people are like, "Oh, now you're just lying," and I'm like, "No, I'm not. I promise. <laughs> I promise."
6: Um, for me, like. I feel like what I wear is like really like masculine or people like to say that. Cause like I always get confused for like a guy on the street and I'll just be like, Oh, like that's whatever. But I'm like female identifying, but it's like clothes is really like, like gender neutral, like no matter what, like, like you can wear whatever. And, um, so, yeah, but I, it doesn't really bother me. I mean, I feel like I love how I, I wear, like, I love what I wear. And, like, my brothers would be like, yo, I love your outfit. And I'm like, yeah, that's what I'm saying. Like, I'm trying to look like you kind of, <laughs> you know, like, I don't know. It's kind of fun. <laughs> yeah,
5: I kind of, like, identify a little bit what you're saying. But, like, you know, like, you said, like, it's kind of masculine. I also identify as female. But, like, there's some days where, like, I'll, like, wake up and I'm like, Yeah, I'm going to dress, like, completely, like, the opposite. And I'll be, like, you know, like, a flannel, like, chains and, like, my cargo pants. But then there's, like, some days I wake up and I'm, like, I want to embody the most femme energy in the world. And then, like, when I can't do that, I get so upset. Like, so I'll just, like, put on, like, all my rings, which I think I own, like, 11 rings. So it's, like, multiple, although not thumb rings. So, like, other fingers have multiple rings. And, like, I have... An insane like earring collection I have thirty two e. like I think last time I counted like just like studs mm-hmm. and then that's not I counted, like my dangly earrings like the earrings if you guys look at me right now, mm-hmm. the earrings I'm wearing are boa vertebrates so they're oh. bones um but like it's a little weird, but also I love wearing this because for some reason even though it's bones, I'm like, oh my god, I feel so feminine mm-hmm. <laughs> it's just a little weird, but yeah, so it's kind of I wake up in the morning kind of arguing with myself like oh, what am I trying to
2: embody today mm-hmm true I don't think it's weird I really like your earrings they're Thank super you. cool and I've I've seen some of your collection too I really love like really big earring collections because it's like little pieces of art that you get to wear all day long and yeah my collection's also big because I just I don't know I feel like like Jasmine like just finding different places going to art fests, stuff like that and just saying really cool like earrings and jewelry like even if I don't have that much money if I have some money,
6: I'm probably going to get some. Mm-hmm. Do you guys have, like, favorite accessories that you guys like to wear? Uh,
5: probably for me, it would be um, my butterfly earrings. They're made out of emperor butterflies, so, like, the big blue ones if you play Animal Crossing. Mm-hmm. Uh, and there's also, a, have, like, a sterling silver detail that's also of a butterfly. Um, those, I dropped $60 on them that summer. I was bawling. Um, but, like, when I wore them, they just, like, stand out. And so they honestly go with anything
0: yeah Mm -hmm. yeah i know mine is like it's this necklace that has like a dinosaur on it but it's like those the ones that like tells your mood so i got it like from the field museum it's a matching necklace with my bestie but yeah i like to wear it just because i like dinosaurs so (laughs) it's yeah it's really cute and so yeah i like wearing that nice
5: i have a ring from the field museum oh really Um, yeah it was like one summer all of like my summer camp we agreed like oh we're gonna get this ring it was like six of us um and now i think it's only me and another girl who have it like six years later it's it's breaking down sue is getting covered by the whatever material makes mood rings work but she's holding on you're the real ones (laughs) (laughs)
2: everyone lost there that's so sad (laughs) i would say for me it would be like this cat ring that i have on as like two little cats on it with like some little like Gems, and this is my favorite because I just found it in like one of my favorite antique stores in Pilsen, and it reminds me of like me and my partner. So that's
5: adorable, it's cute, Thank
0: you. Yeah.
5: Um, but yeah, so uh. So that was a really good discussion, guys. I love all you guys' personal styles. I'm gonna get some fashion tips from y'all. But now we're gonna switch over to an audio piece by E on creative
3: burnout.
7: Have you or a loved one been experiencing a
3: sense of dread when it comes to creating? Perhaps unexplainable exhaustion, lack of inspiration, experiencing self-doubt about your work, and maybe, maybe even unhealthily comparing your work to your artistic peers? Well, you may be a victim of creative burnout, and you may be entitled to absolutely nothing. But in all seriousness, art burnout is more of a problem than ever these days. With social media at the palm of our hands, followings to maintain, deadlines to meet, it almost seems impossible to catch your breath at times. (sighs) But it's important to make time to separate yourself from your art. Taking the time to enjoy other activities, having a support system, knowing your limits, and learning how to say no can help prevent art burnout. Yeah, yeah, easier said than done, but prevention is better than cure. Or so I briefly Googled. But if you're tuning in and growing because you yourself are in a creative slump, don't worry. Everything I said before still applies, so please take care of yourself. But if you're wanting to reconnect with your creative side, let's start with the basics. Does anyone vaguely remember the crafts you did in kindergarten? Tissue paper carnations for Mother's Day, hand turkeys for Thanksgiving, or maybe even construction paper snowman for winter. Yup, we're going that basic. So gather around yet again to make another craft. Today we'll be attempting to make a turtle out of an egg carton. And with that being said, you'll need an egg carton, scissors, paintbrush, paint, glue, preferably hot glue, crafting pom-poms, craft foams, or paper, and googly eyes. Most of these materials you can actually get creative and substitute it with something else if you don't have them at hand, or they could probably be found at your nearest dollar store, whichever works for you. First things first, get your egg carton and scissors in hand and cut out one of the shells. Flip it upside down and cut a bit off the edges to even out the shape. This will be the shell of the turtle. Now, once you have your shell base, paint or decorate it however you want. Get as creative or as simple as you'd like. When you're done, you can cut out five little triangles out of the foam sheets or paper for the fins and tail. Glue it accordingly. Next, the head. Get a pom-pom and two googly eyes and glue it on both sides of the pom-pom. Lastly, glue the head onto the shell. Hopefully it's self-explanatory on the positioning. And that should be your finished product. The good thing about kids crafts is that they're really simple. So if Josue and kindergarten can do it, and you can do it too, big dog, and severely better. Kindergartners know nothing about hand dexterity. Kindergartners got nothing on this, for real. I think God against kindergartners, for real. I don't know. My beef with kindergartners aside, thank you so much for listening, and I hope that this encourages you to engage in art in a way you normally wouldn't. Have a lovely rest of your day. No, no, hear me out. Kindergartners got it so good these days. I They're swear. kids. I what they know about taxes? Nothing. Nah, nah, nah. They're kids, bro. You're missing the point. Hi, hello, hey, my name's E. Rodriguez, and we just finished listening to my audio piece about creative burnout. I'm sure most of us know firsthand the dreadful feeling. I actually recently began creating again after years of being burned out. So this piece definitely feels like a full circle moment. But let's open the floor. How does art burnout look out for you? And I'll answer, I'm gonna pass the question around. Um, When I was doing my research, actually, I was kind of surprised to see that exhaustion was one of the symptoms. Cause yeah, I remember when going through my art burnout phase, like I, I was so tired and so exhausted. I, I think I really pushed myself to the limit, and I paid the consequences. Um, that and like the other thing of comparing your work to others. I have a bunch of RT friends that are so successful in their field, um, going to like art school and stuff, and I definitely like, I had my jealous moments of just like, they can only they can do it. I can't. I don't know. What about that? I don't know why, really. Um, I'm happy for their success, but somehow it it always turned to a jealous feeling. Thankfully, like I'm I'm a lot better now. Um, but yeah, like how does art burnout affect you or how does that look for you guys?
8: Uh, hi, my name is Diego. And for me, it's kind of the same as UE. I'm like, I'm, I just compare myself. I'm like, man, I wish I was as good as them. They're, they're having, they get a lot of followers. They're doing all of this. It, mm-hmm. They're collaborating with other artists that I look up to I'm like, man, I wish I could be like them that's really unhealthy, and I learned to be like, no, you take things at your own pace, you'll be fine. Mm -hmm. And well, I just get really tired, and I stop for like months. And then I'll wait for inspiration to hit me, which I realize is bad because you should just do it. Yeah, you should just keep on doing it until you like something. Mm -hmm. So that's how
9: it looks for me. How about you? Uh, Hi, my name is Jeremiah, and my experience with creative burnout, um, it's definitely a lot. Generally what happens is you'll be unsatisfied with your current skill level and uh, work yourself to the bone. And it's not healthy, but there's times where like you know it's not healthy, but you continue to do it anyway solely for the fact that, hey, I'm enjoying what I do, and this is really fun working right now or creating something right now. Um, but then you realize, oh, dang, uh, three hours went by, I haven't eaten, and I don't like what I've worked on. That's not good. So yeah, it's it's like a balance. It's de- there's definitely a balance between like um, like overworking yourself and suffering from the effects of burnout, um, which I have put myself through more times than I can count. And I agree with like Diego's uh, perspective. Like you look up to these like creators and these artists all sharing like their their talents, their skill level um, on like Instagram, YouTube, stuff like that, and you're like, wow, I suck compared to them. And I got to get better at that. So you, like, push yourself, push yourself, push yourself. So uh, what 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 about? do you think?
6: Um, hi, my name is Ariandi. And I also, kind of, like, similar to E, I feel like I also get, like, jealous. Like, when people around me are like, my friends. Like, I have friends who, like, also go to art school. And, like, they're just really, like, furthering in their career. And, like, I feel like I get jealous. And I'm, like, but I am happy for them. Ultimately, I am happy for them. But I just see, like, the resources that they get because they're, like, you know, like, I don't want to say, like, A lot of, like, neurotypical people, I feel like, can go through all four years of college and, like, just do it. Like, just, like, knock it out. And, like, you know, like, I'm not like that. Like, a lot of people, like, I can't just go to school, like, consecutively and, like, be okay with it. And, like, you know, like, or even, like, when it comes to my art, like, I can't just, like, like, I love to draw. Like, I I draw, like, every day, but I can't pump out, like, work, like, you know, just like that because it's, like, not, like, I don't know. I feel like I'm, like, like, wearing myself out, you know, like. Or, like, I'll think about it too much if, like, what I'm creating for, like, a whole week, I'm like, dang, like, I didn't really do anything that I like this week. then I'll feel like maybe I'm just not good at it. Like, I don't know, like, you know, like, you get in your mind and then you start to, like, burn out, you know? So, like, definitely it's, like, it's just, it's a a cycle, you know? Like, eventually you'll get back into it. Like, you'll be, like, creating something that you like or, like, you know, it sucks, but you'll put it online, people like it, and you'll feel, like, good, you know, it'll, like, build up your ego. But it sucks because you can't just, like, build up, like, your... You can't, like, think that your art is good only because other people like it, you know? You got to like it yourself. So so it's, like, that's, yeah, like, a cycle. It's, it's tough.
3: No, I, d- I definitely relate, especially to, like, having your own limits, especially when your other peers are, have, like, a very high tolerance for that kind of stuff. Like, right now, I'm taking, like, two classes a semester, and that's all I could really take. And um, even then, like, I'm kind of struggling a little bit. And But, like, seeing, again, seeing those Instagram posts and my, my friends posting about their, like, sorority or whatever... And like their, their artwork and their, like I have a friend right now who's creating like a children's book, such a lovely book about like coming out to your family. And it's, he's, he's doing good on it. Like he's, he's, he's furthering his like career and I see it and I see it all the time. I click on Instagram and it's so sad to like, when I was during, like when I was going through my art burnout phase, it was so sad to like see just because I felt like I was competing with him. And it's not the case. But it's just like a very sad and like feeling to have when you're looking at other your peers and they're obviously like doing better work. They're like pumping out work more consistently. Um, but thankfully, again, like what you said before of just like you got to do art and like it yourself. That's a very important factor, because for like the longest, I, I just stopped posting on Instagram. Like I stopped um, comparing my work. I just started doing work for myself. Like I have a sketchbook of like a collages that I only I really look at. And that was enough to, like, kind of put me back in the flow of things of just creating art for myself that I like and not necessarily, like, doing it to show other people. And my art became, like, a very vulnerable thing. And for a while, it was just to myself. But now, like, I think I'm ready to, like, actually put myself back out there in, like, a very healthy way. Mm -hmm. But um, speaking of that, like, what, what do you guys do to, like, help overcome art burnout or, like, to, like, kind of help with that feeling? Take a break. Take, a,
9: Take break. a break because, geez, like, I understand like art is something that we like. If you are doing it, you probably love it a lot, and you like. There is joy from it, but there is times when like you can get really frustrated at like, for lack of a better term, your own incompetence or lack of a skill level that you wish you were at, and honestly, taking a break and consuming maybe other like food because you, let's be honest, you probably haven't eaten. Uh, food, water, and then maybe just sleeping, reading, maybe uh, watching some anime or a, like some show where like you see other people's art and you get like rejuvenated or such, or maybe just taking a break from like the medium as a whole and just chill, just chill, just do do nothing, take in the surroundings, go take a walk, something, and we can just chill and then later you can come back to it. That's normally what I do at least. What about you?
3: Honestly, I always start with a shower, but yeah, go ahead, sorry. Oh,
8: my bad. Uh, I I tend to find, look for motivation to, like, go, so I listen to, like, artists. Like, I watch, like, videos of them, like, recording in the studio, because something about that is like, man, they're just doing it, which inspires me a lot, and that's that's what I do.
3: All right, unfortunately, we have to wrap wrap up the conversation, and right now you're listening to 105.5 FM, WLPN-LP Lumpin' Radio. I'll be right back with Jeremiah's audio piece about video game crunch time.
9: Hi, my name is Jeremiah. Now the following section focuses on crunch time and crunch culture, specifically how the latter sucks. Stay tuned to hear about my opinions as well as other opinions, yippee. Uh, important disclaimer but before we begin. All opinions expressed, unless literally coming from outside someone else's mouth, are my own. There are a lot of words that square me. I would argue that smart is not one of those words. So in addition to using Noodle's Crunch Culture Conundrum video and Super Bunny House video on unionization, steady care, and generations of game culture, please support I also talked to an ex-game developer about his experience in regards to crunch and crunch culture, so it seems like I know what I'm talking about. God, this is going to be so hard trying to make a cohesive segment without blatantly just copying Noodle. Dang. Well, in any case, I'll, um, I'll try my best. Alrighty. To start, I think people can drastically underestimate how hard it is to make a game let alone a successful game. Tell me what this is going to be clips of Noodle's voice. He has a better mic than me.
10: Hello, I am Funny Cartoon Man, and today we will be discussing mental health, self-care, workplace abuse, and other fun topics.
9: Thank you, thank you, Noodle. Um, So to start us off with, um, why don't you tell us what the difference is between crunch and crunch culture?
10: Crunch and crunch culture are two very different things. Crunch is the act of pushing yourself, usually by working very long hours to meet a deadline. It's what immediately follows the oh god, oh f- dang" moment when you realize an assignment is due in two days and you haven't started yet. It's a feeling of running on five hours of sleep in the last two days, going on your third G Fuel, desperately chipping away at an assignment due that morning that you still don't know whether you're going to finish on time. Got that? Crunch culture is where most of the problems come from. It's the idea that regularly staying late, slaving away on a project among your peers is a good thing actually, and should be expected from those in the field.
9: This is a problem because one, sacrificing personal health and care and a social life is not more important than say a final product. However, some people don't see it this way. Would you say that your previous job did not have a healthy work-life
4: balance? Um, There's times that it definitely did not. You know, like um, there's what they call in video games uh, crunch time.
9: This is Tim. He's an ex-game developer who primarily uh, 3D modeled uh, characters like Scorpion for the Mortal Kombat series. So yeah, it's kind of a big deal. So that's what you mean when you say that the environment was very cutthroat? Yeah, me?
4: it's pretty, it's pretty cutthroat. Yeah. Like I said, it's just like really tight deadlines. Um, you know, there's a lot of money involved and scheduling and you just have to get stuff done. There's, and there's, there's no really a way around. You have to be fast. You gotta be super accurate. You know, there is, um, the, the video game industry and in the grand scheme of the thing. there's a lot of money involved. Um, just like movie industry. And there's, there's schedules that are already mapped out before you even start making the game. So if you don't hit those schedules, then, you know, it's, you kind of mess up on other people's schedules. So, which means time and money. So, uh, yeah, I mean, crunch time is mandatory because it's, you know, you're working for a company when you, when you sign up and you work for a company, they're, they're paying you. There's really, that's, that's your job. Um, there's no, it's not like a nine to five, you, you know, you don't go to, you don't go to work at nine and clock out right at five. If the job's not done, then the job's not done. There's no, there's no, um, it's not a clock out situation. (laughs) You have to make sure your whatever task it is that you're, there'd be times I'd stay like super late. Um, you know, which, you know, obviously that's common sense that it's not, it's not healthy. It's, um. You know, you should—you really shouldn't be working any job that's, you know, over X amount of hours. You gotta get the rest. That's just like common sense. <clears throat> but yeah, I mean, there's there's times that you have to, you know, during crunch time, where you have to get stuff done. And if it's not done, then like I said, it leads into other people's schedules, so.
9: No one wants to be that guy who, like shifts the workload to someone else, right?
10: Another anecdote reads, I hardly sleep. I'm grumpy at home. I have no energy to go out. Getting a weekend away from work is a major achievement. If I take Saturday off, I feel guilty. I'm not being forced to work this way, but if I don't, the job won't get done. The company gives us unlimited time off, but it's almost impossible to take the time. If I take time off, the workload falls onto other people, and nobody wants to be that guy.
4: That's with any job with salary. You don't you don't leave, you don't leave the job at, you know, a certain time especially on the art, like a creative, creative, uh, project, there's no, there's no like clock in clock out. <laughs> that's just like, that's, that's kind of just unheard of. You don't, you, you finish what you're supposed to, your, your task, which is given and whatever you have to do to get that done. Like you, there's, there's no, um, yeah, you don't, there's no like time, time sheet. <laughs> So they, hire, they hire you just like any other company or any other industry. They hire you for your skills to create, you know, game assets and to get them done in X amount of time. Whether it's, you know, healthy or not, you signed up for the job. I see.
10: One of the most popular arguments used by both morons and PR departments is that nobody's got a gun to their head. They chose to work 80 hours a week. They chose to abandon their social life. You might be thinking to yourself, well, if Chris wasn't forced to crunch, why'd he do it anyway? Simple. Coercion. Technically, yeah, Chris didn't have to crunch. In the same way, I don't technically have to obey my house arrest. It was like, yeah, you're not technically by contract required to crunch, but they're not going to hire you back if you don't. They're
11: going to let your contract expire and then that'll be it.
10: Most studios don't technically mandate crunch periods. They don't have to. Over fifty percent of game devs consider crunch expected by their employers. Last year, Epic Games developers described a culture of fear, where overtime wasn't mandated, but it was expected.
9: So there was a major risk um, to losing your job at any time.
4: Correct. Yep. Just like any other job, you're not performing well. You're not when you're working when you're working on for any company that's paying you like especially like salary you're not getting paid hourly you know what i mean you're getting paid however many hours it takes to finish the job and you have to kind of know that
9: so as an you're paid overtime
4: no there's no hour there's no hourly work when you're getting when you're when you're working for a job and they're paying you salary there's no such thing as getting paid hourly overtime if that's what you're asking mm.
10: Hey, don't worry, it gets worse. At Epic Games, and most of the industry, it's standard practice to hire a core group of employees as well as a larger body of cheaper, less experienced contract workers to do the lower level grunt work. But here's the thing about contract work. In addition to the benefits they probably aren't getting, contractors don't get paid overtime. They're on a salary, meaning that no matter how many hours they worked, their paycheck's going to look the same at the end of the month either way. Best case scenario? When the game finally ships, it gets a 93 on Metacritic, and they get a little bonus. Hell, maybe they even get offered a permanent position. That way, the next time they're abused, do they actually get paid for it. Worst case, the contract runs out.
4: When you're getting paid salary, there's no such thing as a getting paid hourly overtime. Yeah, it's a very competitive job. I mean, people a lot of people want to work in the game industry, because like you said, a lot of people like yourself, myself, we like video games, and... Um, it's considered to be like a dream job to some. So yeah, there's a lot of there's a lot of artists. And if you're not if you don't if you're not gonna live up to what you're being paid for, they'll somebody else will do it. So yeah.
9: But the salary um per the the rigid salary that you receive does not equate to the amount of hours put in. It's more of like there is no paid overtime you get paid a certain amount per week and that is it and you are happy with it and you work overtime regardless is that correct
4: that's with any job with salary you don't you don't leave you don't leave the job at you know certain time especially on the art like a creative creative uh project there's no there's no like clock in clock out (laughs) that's like that's that's Kind of just unheard of, you know. You you finish what you're supposed to your your task, which is given, and whatever you have to do to get that done. Like you, there's there's no, um, yeah, you don't. There's no like time timesheet.
10: <laughs> this is why I hate when people make the gun to head argument. It's not just wrong; it's actively harmful, and it enables the kind of people who use others' passion against them. It ties into this idea that if you manage to get a job doing what you love, you never work a day in your life, and that the art you create should be reward enough, which is a detached, childish mindset that only makes sense in a fantasy world where passionate people don't also require work-life balance or money to pay rent and eat food. I gotta assume that the people up top cracking the whip must either not realize or not care that burning the candle at both ends completely drains you of any passion you might have had. A tired, stressed, underpaid, unhappy employee working the same hours as a f- sweatshop worker is not likely to put out their best work. Somehow, I doubt that someone undergoing a stress casualty feels super motivated.
9: That is very sad. And I don't know where to go from this.
10: Hey, check us out. This is Marty O'Donnell's pet goose. I've stolen him for the video. He's mine now.
12: Hey, hey in there. I think that's my goose. Can you give it back, please? Hey,
10: uh, Marty. Yeah, uh, I've been looking
12: for the goose. You have. Yeah,
10: it. I'm just holding on to him no, for a little. It's not your goose. I don't no, want no, to. No, no, it's okay. It. Don't. It's, it's for it's the video. Yours. So it's, it's I'll give him back. A- Marty, for those who aren't aware, is the audio director at Highwire Games and previously Bungie.
12: I want my goose back.
10: He wrote the Flintstones Vitamins jingle. <laughs> Julian. He's been in the industry for more than two decades.
12: I'm talking to you. I want my goose.
10: And he's a big fan of weird, convoluted metaphors. Example.
12: In 2014, Martin O'Donnell gave a talk at the annual Nordic Game Conference. He had much to say, but what we're interested in today is his goose metaphor. Marty? It's, uh, be nice to the goose. We all know how the fairy
10: tale ends, people get greedy, and the goose dies. The goose is the people, and the eggs is the games. Obviously higher-ups don't carve open geese as a hobby, but that doesn't mean that they're treated fairly.
12: People don't want to actually kill the goose, but they don't seem to have a problem kicking it in the stomach. And a goose that's been kicked in the stomach is not probably going to want to lay any more eggs. Doesn't even want to get out of bed.
10: Chances are, if you're already neck deep and crunched like some of CDPR was, The suits don't care how hard it is or how long it'll take. You keep working till it's done.
12: One night I was having dinner with an Activision executive, and he said, hey, I've heard about this goose thing. Can you tell me the story about that? And so, you know, I had a couple glasses of wine, I started waxing poetically about the goose and the golden egg, and then he said, Uh, wow, Marty, that's a really good story. Uh, But, you know, sometimes there's nothing like a good foie gras.
9: For those... Blissfully unaware, foie gras can be described as the liver of a cooked goose. Do you see the problem here? Um, talking about that, of us, this, this like ideology, like this looming dread, like there's always someone better. Um, you will you will be replaced if you can't perform. Uh, under these conditions or the rising like trends, the rising technology, do you think the corporations or the higher ups can take advantage of this mindset and exploit it in a way like to make you work longer, to um, set like a tone of fear and just like make you perform in, in, in a way of fear rather than motivation. Well, not motivation, but like in, in, the fear is the motivation rather than the passion.
4: Um, not really, because it's not like, it's not a work setting where it's like a sweatshop. It's not really fear because you're choosing, you're choosing the, um, to go work in this industry. You know, you don't have to do that. So it's, it's the fear part is, you know, you don't, you don't have to do it. It's not, it's not like a, it's a different, it's a different, um, take on like an environment to work on. I wouldn't say it's, a uh, I'm sure every, every workplace has its, um, like I said, pros and cons, but there's no, it's not as if it's, um, this like dungeon where you gotta like crank out these assets, you know, it's at the end of the day, as an artist, you're choosing to work in the video game industry. So it's not, there's, there's no, there's no like fear, you know, there's that, that's, that's, you know, that's a perception. So I I just think that it's the artist knows what they're getting into a very competitive um, field that a lot of people want, you know, a lot of people want to get into it. And it's, it's a very high demand thing and it's fun. There's a lot of perks to it, but there's also a lot of like, um, there's a lot of work. And you just have to be really good to to work in that field. Like I said, it's the best of the best.
10: I it's it's really easy to hear about all of this awful and point the finger solely at corporate executives. But I'd be remiss if I didn't also take a moment to focus on everything else that contributes to crunch in the studio, starting
13: with the gamers. The, The gaming community puts more pressure on developers than anyone realizes there's there's so much pressure to like meet a deadline not from like executives but from the masses like i saw i saw the like one developer posting death threats that he received on twitter about yeah it. Like, i
10: saw that too
13: it's f- scary you know and like yeah. we are nobodies and had like very few people in comparison wanting our game but i had people that were like livid that i wouldn't give them the time that the game would release I don't know what time on that date that we're targeting that the game will go live. And people got violently upset to the point where they're like, how could you possibly call yourself a game developer if you don't know the exact second that this game is going to be available? Imagine working at City Project,
10: working these insane hours, and on top of all that stress, also then getting sent death threats from randos on Twitter who think you aren't working hard enough. There were people out here complaining about how Apex doesn't have as much free content as Fortnite, literally a day after an article came out exposing the human cost of that dopamine drip feed. Respawn would later state that the whole reason they were updating the game slower was to avoid the crunch that Epic had embraced. There were real humans out here arguing that crunch makes video games realistic and therefore better. And, you know, I want to believe that this is a vocal minority, but this head-ass take kind of popped off! I think it's some kind of cursed blend of entitlement and the lack of knowledge that leads gamers to say so much stupid shit all the time. Like, Jesus Christ. But this insane internet noise can have a real effect on how games are marketed, how they're made, and the people behind them. As Luke put it, there's a the crunch you want to do, and there's a crunch you have to do. This is why I think Luke and Marty both make the distinction that even crunch that's entirely voluntary has got to be kept in check. The way Luke put it, It can be awesome because you have passionate people who are excited and have cool stuff to work on, but you got to be careful. People can get so excited that before you know it, they're working a ton and getting burned out. That distinction he makes, that passionate people are excited, is a really important note to hit on, because us creatives tend to be really bad at the whole self-control thing. It's so easy to just throw everything you have into a project you're jazzed about, but before you know it, you're burnt out, you feel like shit, and you hate everything you worked on. Some would argue that for management to explicitly seek out super-enthusiastic workers is inherently predatory, because young passion is easy to exploit. The PR bull- I hear a lot is like, we're looking for somebody who's extremely passionate about this work. And that's like, okay, you you want to just exploit them. Here's the thing about that, though. In a passion fueled industry, who doesn't want passionate people? It's a double edged sword. You need people who really care about the work they do, because the more they care, the better their work will be. But unless that drive is kept in check, it quickly becomes self-destructive
12: you actually start seeing this you start seeing them they're staying later and later and they're like eating at their desk and they're sleeping under their desk and they're doing these crazy things and then when if you're in a position of management you say look you got to go home i want you to go home i want you to spend the weekend with your kids like this isn't good you're not what you're doing is not good for you which means it's not going to be good for us so you're not allowed to come in sometimes you actually have to say no you can't volunteer to crunch anymore you have to take a break
10: I feel like Luke and Marty are the kind of people you really want to work for. They're more inclined to pet the goose every so often than they are to- Obviously, this isn't to say that all management that doesn't think exactly like these two are cartoon villains. But when you embrace that culture of crunch rather than keeping it at bay, that's when you get the horror stories. Jason Schreier put it really well when covering Naughty Dog. The studio is open about crunch culture and interviews, and its managers deliberately seek out perfectionists in art, engineering, and all the other disciplines that make games happen. At Naughty Dog, nobody asks the devs to crunch. Nobody has to ask. They'll be there anyway. Obviously there are things we could be doing better. Maybe it's better planning, maybe it's unionization, maybe it's- HOLD IT! Uh,
1: what is Game Workers Unite, and why why is it necessary in uh, the current state of the industry and the economy?
11: Uh, well, I'd say like uh, Game Workers Unite is a kind of um, uh, industry like kind of labor activist uh, group. It kind of sprung into existence um, about a year ago, actually, at the last uh, GDC kind of a ragtag group of people that really quickly uh in response to an igda uh panel on you know are unions a good idea for the industry where it was clearly set up to just quash that any sort of sentiment uh a lot of people were like well we're gonna be at gdc let's just all go to that panel and have that conversation and it really took off from there it was one of those things where we showed up with like a logo some stickers that was like my big contribution at the beginning was designing the logo um logo some stickers some pins uh some really hastily Put together zines and pamphlets and it was just like an avalanche going down the mountain like immediately everyone was like thank god someone has
1: (laughs) done something why uh do you guys feel that game developers need union protection
11: i think every industry needs union protection right like So, games aren't like unique in that sense. It's not like games out of everyone needs, you know. Well, it's software development. Yeah, software development and. (laughs) Supposedly much more friendlier jobs outside of the game industry. Yeah. Um, Yeah, give or take a a bit, depending on like where it is. But, you know, games are just kind of especially brutal in a lot of ways. Um, You know, the layoffs that you've probably heard about and talked about elsewhere, where, you know, a project will end and just, oh, we'll see you. You're all going home today. Um, with just no warning, often like no severance, uh, and no sort of like benefits, uh, you know, after that. So games, like like I said at the start, like they're more extreme in, in some ways, like the industry when it comes to this, but they're not unique at all, like the games industry likes to tell itself all the time, that, like, well, we're special, right? We're all here because we love it and we're a family and all this stuff, but like loads of industries say that, you know, and and have that same sort of feeling. It's it's just good marketing. Yeah, before I got into games, I was doing motion graphics and post-production for film stuff, right? Um, And I worked at a studio, Uh, I worked at a couple studios that did that and it's, it was the exact same thing. They do crunch? Yeah. Oh. Um, and so when I got into this, you know, we're independent, uh, but I have loads and loads of friends who work at studios, and they're talking about, they're like, yeah, we're going through this, and games are just weird, and I'm like, oh, that's exactly what I used to go through with the exact same terminology at this other place, right? So like, sometimes they would just say, you have a deadline, my next Friday, Uh, stay until you get it done. Overnight? Um, Yeah, oh god, at at my old studio, the first two weeks I worked at the old studio, uh, like a bunch of years ago, this wasn't a game studio, this is a motion graphics studio, but again, same basic thing. Um, uh, I didn't leave, I worked every day for two weeks and, and a bunch of overnights because I was terrified of losing my job, of not getting the job. And so there's that, then there's like the whole thing of like, well, if I don't, I'm, I'm letting down like my team, right? Like I want to stay. And then there's also something where it's like, I've put my blood, sweat and tears into this project. I want it to be really good.
1: I've, I've heard plenty of stories about how crunch used to not be normal and how it w- kind of started to uh, become the way it is around, uh, I want to say, mid-2000s to, to early 2010s. Do you know if the situation was always this bad? And uh, if that has to do with why unionization is
13: happening now rather than not earlier. The issue of crunch was never this bad. Um, it's gotten to kind of essentially breaking point. And the industry is starting to understand that. And people really are trying to be mindful and, and change that culture of crunch. But we've always had an issue of um, people working what's called founders hours, which just means like people... Throwing their all into stuff, right? Working late nights, working weekends, um, and I think that can be really wonderful. I'm definitely one of those people who likes to work myself to a breaking point and always wants to be chipping away at the work to be done. Um, but I think the problem is, we bring a lot of passion to this industry. Industry typically, um, people in the industry are often really, really invested in the work that they're doing. Right? For us. It's often a dream job to be in this industry. And so sometimes we become incredibly open to being exploited for the sake of being in this industry. And so the issue of passion is kind of like a double-edged sword, right? We need to have passion, and bring that level of excellence to our work every day, right? In order, in order to make great games and, and build our communities and stuff, but um, we can't let that be a source of exploitation on the side of our bosses who will use that, right? They'll use words like passion and motiva- like really personal kind of motivators and calling the group a family instead of a company. And all of that's used to pressure people to overwork themselves and uh, often at the benefit of the company and not necessarily either at the benefit of the product or the workers themselves. That's the
1: pseudo-anonymous Emma Kinema, whose Patreon-supported gig has her moonlighting as the closest thing to a spokesperson Game Workers Unite has. I'm, I'm assuming that Kinema is not your real last name, but you still have your face and your voice out there. I'm wondering why why that is that I, I can't say the same about the other interviews i've been doing
13: um the last year and i've been doing kind of advocacy work in the industry and mild labor organizing before game workers unite um and for all of that i've been using uh, essentially a pseudonym and not putting my face out there um and uh actually i've kind of just recently decided to uh forego that um, for a myriad of reasons. Um, I I feel like while that can certainly cause problems for my uh, personal career prospects, I find that being really open and honest about my position on this and being uh, some sort of public voice for this, even though, of course, I can't speak for everyone, <laughs> I would never even imagine or dream to, but... Um, I think it's really important to have people in the public who are willing to actually just own the fact that, yep, I'm pro-union. Yes, I believe that everyone deserves a dignified life at work. I believe workers should have democracy in their workplace. I believe that workers should have stabler, healthier conditions that allow them to live actual lives and build families and careers out of this industry. And I don't wanna hide that behind anything at this point.
10: I mean, it is, most of the time. Studies show that it doesn't really work, but I mean, like, if we're going off Marty's definition, there's nothing inherently wrong with it. It's just really easy to take too far. But the only thing I know for certain is that crunch culture is definitely, for sure, a bad thing that no one should be okay with. As long as entertainment is fueled by deadlines and profit, crunch is probably never going to go away entirely. But, you know, hearing about how companies like Respawn and Nintendo are out here actively avoiding it... ...kind of makes me think that maybe... ...everyone should be doing that.
12: Yeah. There are three things important to making a game. Not dying, shipping, and making money. In that order. And there's a reason why staying alive is first on that list. You know, it might seem obvious. You can't be creative if you're dead, right? So stay alive, stay healthy. Hey, I'm, I'm gonna keep the goose. It's not yours. Yeah, it's okay. Give I'll, me I'll my goose back.
4: This is What's Up on
10: WLPN LP Chicago 105.5 FM Lumpin' Radio. Aren't you glad we didn't say craft show? Wait, wait, wait. Stop. Take a breath. Like, really, breath.
6: Remix!
10: Uh, yeah, yo, we're in the studio uh, Coming up soon, we got an interview yeah, yeah. And a discussion like a dinner for two
6: yeah. All of this and more in a show that's brand new okay. Sit back, relax, and enjoy the YOLO Cali crew Alright, alright, thank you to DJ Diego and MC Angel for that fabulous introduction Yuck. As well as ad Jeremiah for <laughs> contributing very little Yuck. As well, as well, thank you guys, thank you guys And now I'll be introducing my uh, interview with Claudia Arts And it's gonna be a little interview um, talking about vending and little tips about vending and just the vending experience in general. So if you ever wanted to vend, feel free to listen in and enjoy. Galalia Arts is a local Mexican-American Chicago artist who does mainly traditional and digital illustration. And they're joining us here today to share any vending tips and general vending experiences that might help any aspiring vendor. Is art or creating art like one of your main sources of income?
7: Uh, they, it is not my main source of income.
6: Okay. And how do you balance that with your with your other work and your life and everything else?
7: Yeah, good question. Um, I think the first thing I always like to remind myself, and hopefully it would, you know, ease people's pain, is it's okay to not have art be your only source of income. I think that's always everyone's main goal. Um, but, you know... I'm telling myself in kind words it's okay but I think that the balance is like time management and not letting your other jobs or side hustles um, take away that creative energy because if you're strained from other work and then you try to make art and you're tired and frustrated like you might not create or might just influence the art that you're making which could be good I've made some really funny stuff you know because of that and then but I, to, to go back to that question is the balance is like not to give up and create, even if it's just something once a month or just doodle to get that energy out. Because sometimes an idea that you've had, um, you look back and you're like, OK, I'm going to make it happen. And a lot of the designs that I've done that are stickers now were things that kept popping up in conversations. And I finally decided to do something about it
6: well i guess like we can start off with more general questions so what artwork do you like to do is it like um illustration like traditional work um what's like your favorite thing to do
7: and i believe i'm a lot stronger with digital art um i have a very scratchy art style where i can't make up my mind so my lines are never so confident as other artists might be so with digital art i can make mistakes and then redraw the line over and over without like losing the art piece but mm-hmm. i have done a lot of like paintings they just it just takes longer so the process is a lot slower but um it's just different out outcomes but for me my favorite medium to use is definitely digital art and um painting
6: okay, okay. And- how do you like not lose your artistic integrity without like having to sell your soul to, like you know what i mean to make some sort of income?
7: in the beginning I felt like I needed to create really beautiful artwork for people to buy it. And I think that held me back more than anything else. And I think sometimes as artists, we compare ourselves to like, you know, other artists, like right now I have, I'm looking at my sister's wall of art that we've collected. And if I were to see this artwork, I'd be like, I'm not good enough. And because I'm not good enough, I can't sell. So what helped me is I just, needed to make art and I think I was my worst enemy like I stopped myself from doing it and it was like in early 2019 you know um I decided to do like self-love art because I was I was really like depressed I was sad I had a lot of um like self um I was very self-conscious of my tasks or my skills and myself, my body, you know, it just, I just felt so unseen and unvalidated by people that I decided to validate myself and I made artwork and I decided to, we paste like what drawings I did, even if it was a cute little bunny to a girl on the moon, you know, seeing self-love and a thicker, curvier body. Um, And because of that, that was like, the first time I noticed people like in my art and it would they were seeing like me. And um I think that's what changed. And then people asked, Oh, can you make a sticker? Can you do this? And because I created this piece because of what I felt and what I needed as a person, it allowed me to connect with the people that care about the same things. Right. Um that allowed me to to also understand everything we make isn't going to impact everyone or not everyone's gonna like it but what mattered is that I liked it and I would want this as a sticker and then there might be other people who would want that so I think that was the first step for me was create artwork that you would want or that inspire you by people that you love or care for because then you're truly making art that is a part of your life or your story so you're not necessarily like, oh, I'm going to create another um, TikTok, -like, like this is the new TikTok like image or whatever trend and we're just going to do it to do it versus like, oh, I did this, how can I bring what I made into that? So kind of reversing that role.
6: Like, so do you think now like through vending or through events that you found like your audience, like for the people like who like buy your work, do you think there's like an audience or do you think it's like a really broad audience? Or like oh yeah like what do you think about that
7: yeah oh man i got a good story to tell you okay, oh, okay. <laughs> so, it's and it, it definitely hits a lot of like you, you gotta learn how to process your feelings and not and again it's like never see yourself as a failure if you don't do well in different event spaces but i was very success successful at like selling stickers prints artwork in little village pilsen like bridgeport like so like Community areas and mm-hmm. I, believe, I don't know what other spaces I've been to but more like latin that X um, Spaces and creative spaces. I definitely was more successful and people understood a lot of my images are um, Different body types um, Mexican-american pop culture So I feel like I was so like I did so well. So then I got invited to a space in downtown and it was the worst vending event. I lost so much money just paying for parking. It was free, um, but it's downtown. So like to even get lunch, it was really difficult. And watching people pass by my table and not be interested was really hard. And it definitely like hurt my pride or my ego. I'm not sure which of the two, I should ask my sister cause she's really good at this, but. Um, it like hurt my feelings. I was like really upset. And it was so, so visible. Like my sister was vending with me and she was like, dude, like, you're letting it get to you. And I'm like, I don't like what I like spend $30 on parking. I like stressed out driving downtown and then to pay for food and then to people to just kind of look at, look down on me. Cause it was definitely a different crowd. It was definitely a different income bracket of individuals and who were not from the community. So I had to sit with my feelings and, you know, understand that maybe I should have been, I shouldn't have been that negative, but it definitely helped me understand that it wasn't like removing the bad attitude. Like it, they just weren't people would understand the art I made and they're not my audience could they, I don't want to create something to make them feel comfortable. It's about what I want to create. And if they can't relate, then they're maybe not the people I want buying my art or pretending to like
6: it. Like, um, how do you recover from that? Like financially or like, um, well, I guess we can just like go with financially. Like how, like if an item doesn't sell, like, like um, what do you do with that item?
7: Yeah. Um, so I will say that like my, my biggest like s- privilege is I have a, a full-time job that if I lose money, it's just like, okay, like I'm, the thing I have to be now mindful of is that my bills are taken care of, but now I lost like privileges. Cause the money I put aside is for art. So like if I budgeted a hundred dollars for like self care for myself, that money's actually going to my art. Um, what I have noticed too is when something doesn't sell, um, I sell it cheaper. Or if people buy a lot of something, or they pay like $20, $30 plus, I'll be like, here's a free sticker to kind of get that item pushed out. And people always like free stuff. So I usually will do that, get this free item. You know, this works out. But I think the biggest thing that also has helped me not feel the loss so much is finding deals. Um, sticker Mule has a deal um, every other quarter, what, not throughout the year, where it's like 50 stickers. Back then it used to be $19, which was super cheap and really good quality. And I opened like six or seven email accounts and I just kept ordering the stickers. So like, even if I only sold five or six of those stickers, I'm pretty much made most of my money back. Being smart about where to order, because then if you're buying high end stuff and you're not charging high end or you're not at that level to make mass production to make that money you have to kind of start off small with deals mm-hmm. um and usually I give them out as gifts too like for me it's like why am I going to keep an item that's not going to sell so a lot of the times uh I'll donate usually to people who are like fundraising or as gifts for people who who buy my art already or that are family and friends because I'd rather it be out there than not be a appreciate it and sometimes that helps the most
11: mm-hmm. um and
7: I also post up a lot of stickers that are either damaged or uh, misprinted uh I will just put them up and that's kind of like free advertisement in a sense like still works as a tool to at least get exposure out
6: um I guess can you leave us with like any vending tips that you might have
7: start off small and don't be Ashamed with your makeshift stands and your tables and it's okay to ask for help. I Started off making stickers by printing them. Um, I would get like 12 to 18 stickers on a sheet at a local print shop for like two bucks and I think the most I ever spent was like $30 on like 20 prints and the rest were all huge stickers. Like they were huge. Um, they're actually in Pilsen Press. I think the prices have changed, but you know, everybody's prices have changed, but they're really like hyper local and very like helpful. Um, and I think the guy's name's Marco. He's really nice having a sister. So I would cut every single sticker out with scissors and it wasn't the best quality. It wasn't like waterproof or anything. But my stand started off with like maybe 10 or eight stickers at a time to now I have like 70 plus sticker designs since like 2019 and reach out to people like don't be afraid to reach out to a friend who has a cricket machine and being like, hey, can I use your cricket machine like I want to make this, you know, I'll pay for materials, I'll buy you coffee, because you have to start somewhere. And a lot of people have these resources. And even I had a lot of people ask me questions, too. And I tried to answer them as long as they're not like rude. But I asked a lot of my friends, where did you get your stickers done? Where did you get your enamel pens made? Like, you know, how did this work? And the right people who care are really open to that type of community will definitely like answer your questions. But don't be afraid to start off small and look for all the free vending events because a lot of them do charge. It could be between $25 to like $75 a table if it's for a day, which is kind of expensive if you're starting off. But mm-hmm. take advantage of all the free free ones and spend them on your social media and hopefully more people will see it um and definitely do your research on ha- I don't know if people use hashtags anymore but like you know the algorithms like what are the things that are like out there that you can bring into something you created versus you creating something because it exists it's like create it for you and then make the system work for you
6: if you have more to share um I also know that you're going to be at Yolo Lab um can you tell us a little bit more about that is there resources there that we might have for vending
7: Yes, so Yolo Lab. Um, I'm excited for Yolo Lab to open its doors again. I'll be there for the, you know, I'll be there for the couple months, and the goal is that you have access to this open studio space on Saturdays. I think I have the dates. Of I think it's Saturday, March 11th, and the 25th, which is Saturday, Saturdays from now. Um, but the goal of that space is you have access to in-house resources and tools. You can YouTube how to use the sewing machine there. You can, you know, if you want to make, a, uh, there's like bookbinding materials and you're like, oh, but I can't afford everything, but there's stuff we have there already. Like that's the space to do it. And the mm-hmm. goal ultimately is, is to reduce the co- out-of-pocket cost for people to just try and make things to s- slowly start picking up because I had my job to help me kind of finance or, or like and not just finance what i mean by that is like secretly like at my job i would print my prints right <laughs> like i would like buy my own paper because i did feel bad but my job was really nice about it because they knew i didn't take advantage that much but like that helped me make like 20 prints for an art show you know like that's saved me like 40 dollars. you know um it's, I want it to be a space where people don't feel ashamed to like get that resource and definitely can like, you know, we have a button, I have a button maker that's going to be available to use. Um, we do have a laptop there in case you need to print something out. If you don't have a device waiting to get our Cricut machine so people can do like crafts machines. Yeah, we got the, uh, the maker three or something, something really nice. Um, bunch of art drawing supplies we have everything yeah i believe it's march 11th and the 25th but i'll share the flyer because now i'm like doubting myself okay (laughs) but yeah so it's for three hours it's open to anyone we specifically would love youth to come because they're definitely the ones that can't financially like or aren't working yet at that level so like I wanted to kind of be seen as a community art space where you can be with other people, ask questions, ask me questions. They'll probably see my setup of what I use currently and, you know, definitely be a tool for them to get feedback of, like, what do you think about my vending, you know, event, things like that. And the goal is to continue to, you know, find ways to get other tools in that space, like, a heat press, you know, we have a, we have a, a lot of silk screens, but they're all used and old. So we have to like re like mesh them or get new screens. So like little by little, we're building up that space, but we first want people to come in and just have a space to like, get to know other people and print, make buttons, make stickers. This space is to get to know the space and the people and then the goal is later on in closer to summer is start having, like, the key workshops of how to make your own stickers, how to make buttons, like, or how to make zines, everything that, you know, I've seen people make. And I'm hoping to bring in other community artists who are special specialists in specific areas to get them to come in and have that space. Cause we want to activate Bar- Barrett Park too. If you really walk out and you'll be at the park. So it'll give you like that connection to nature as well. So you don't feel so stuck in the same place when you're drawing.
6: Thank you so much for listening and to Claudio Arts for giving us their time to talk about some vending tips and general vending experiences with us. Just as a reminder, Claudio Arts is also a resident artist at Yolo Lab located in Barrett Park, 222 West Mac Road in Pilsen. It is an open studio where young youth artists can come and, and get access to materials that they might not have access to anywhere else. As a reminder, we start this Saturday, March 11th and 25th, and next month, April 22nd, and the month after that, May 13th and the 27th, from 10 a.m. to 1 p.m. Alright guys, thank you so much for listening in on our interview with Clow, and thank you to Cloud for taking the time out of their day to answer some questions about vending. And I'm here joined by Sam... Diego and Jeremiah and we're gonna talk a little bit about vending and what they look at for as customers or as vendors so let's see let's start off with Jeremiah so Jeremiah you're a vendor and I know this so what do you sell and why
9: Um, my own art and specifically uh, custom clay sculptures uh, custom original clay sculptures handmade and um, prints of my art so it's very fun Um, there's definitely like I was saying with the burnout section earlier, um, you force yourself to like work harder than you would. Be like, oh, I gotta make money. Oh, geez, I gotta make money for this. I want to, I want to make a profit, right? I want to have a cool selection, and it's like you can work yourself to the bone. But uh, overall, it's pretty fun, and it's nice being like a host or a salesperson of your own, uh, your own craft and your own products, basically.
6: Mm-hmm. Okay, cool. And how about you guys? Um, if you don't vend, what do you look at when you go to like a vending event or a artist alley?
0: Um, <clears throat> I know for me when I go to like an artist valley I usually go to buy either like trinkets, stickers or like clothing so I know I went to the one with Yolo Kali which Ariandi and Jeremiah were both there and I bought their well, I bought like stickers from Ariandi from what is it This these two YouTubers and you know I really like her art and everything and with jeremiah i bought a little sculpture thing that i still have and it's really cool so that, that's usually what i look for when i go and i know some of my favorite vendors are like shot i mean goth and uninspired so what about you diego
8: oh uh, the first time i went to the vending thing it was i saw jeremiah and and i i didn't know what to expect because i just went there and i've never been, went to a place like that before And I just like talking to people and be like, oh, why do you do, why why do you draw this? Why do you sell this? I just like talking to people. And I've bought a lot of cool things from cool people. So I enjoyed it. Mm -hmm. Cool, cool, cool.
9: Ariandi, um, what has been your experience with uh, vending and like selling your own pieces of art?
6: Um, Well, vending is like really fun. I've done a lot of vending. Well, okay, that's a lie. I've only done vending like three times. But the first two vending times I've vended before, I like really didn't sell anything. The last time I really was, the last time I vended, which is with the Yolo Cali event at the National Museum of Mexican Art, I sold like, that was like the most I ever sold ever with my art and I just felt like really accomplished. And what I do sell, kind of like what Sam said, is stickers, prints. I do a lot of traditional prints, like printmaking. So I do like screen prints and um, black prints. And I want my medium to be like, stay that way because I want to be like a printmaker. Um, But yeah, that's kind of what I sell. Um, I feel like it's a really fun experience I think like I just have trouble like like setting up not setting up but getting all my stuff ready before I go vending because it's like I don't know I just don't have the time and like you know I have my my job like I wish art could be like my main source of income but you know it's like tough out here and I still gotta I got bills to pay you know Um, but how about you Jeremiah do you do mostly art as like your main hustle or do you do something else
9: well, I'm here, aren't I?
6: Oh, well that's true, that's true.
9: But uh yeah, as a side gig, for sure. Um I'll try to like get into shows whenever I can. There's art programs that pay, there's paid internships that I haven't gotten into. <laughs> oh. But uh yeah, um I've been in like some art shows. I've been like my my art's been in an exhibit for once and it's, some of them that's have cool. been sold for a while. So, I've sold for not for a while. For for a little bit. They sold for like a couple couple bucks. But uh, yeah, it's it's a fun experience for sure. It's just like you said with setup. Sometimes, like if you're there selling your stuff in person, it can really be taxing. In like, I gotta get it perfect like this. I gotta set up like maybe this is the main focus point. No, maybe I'll put this one here, or maybe this will be my market like product. And it's it's a bunch of different things and factors that mm-hmm. um, go into like selling these things. You don't just show up and be like, well, here's my things,
6: please buy. Thank you, Jeremiah. And how about Diego and Sam? Did you guys, If you guys were ever, would ever vend, what would you guys sell? Or would you guys be interested in something like that?
0: Um, I know for me, what is it? like? I, I know Ariane, kind of gave me this idea of maybe like vending things that I crochet. So I think that's something in the future. I'm, I'm kind of thinking about it. But yeah, what about you, Diego?
8: I don't really know what I would vend because I like to make videos and I like taking photos, but I don't know how to print the photos, but uh, maybe possibly the photos, but that's all. I don't know how I'll design my table because when I went to the Yolokali, one, Jeremiah's and Ariandis, they had like a nice design on the table, which I thought was really cool. So I don't know how I would design my table.
6: Okay.
9: Wood boxes and displays do wonders, man.
6: All right, well, let's go and pass it on to Sam, who is going to introduce their Vox Pop.
0: All right. Hi, everyone. My name is Sam, and I'll be talking about how art can be personal and used as a means of healing. I know for me, I picked up crocheting right after the pandemic, and I think learning a new skill and just making something with your own hands can be rewarding. So we will now be hearing Jasmine and Jeremiah share what hobby they picked up during the pandemic, their progress so far, and what they hope to get out of it.
9: Hi. Hi. My name is Jeremiah, and the hobby I picked up during the pandemic, um, I'd say it had to be sculpting because I was able to really refine my craft throughout the uh, pandemic. So it, I had a lot of free time and it allowed me to look at more tutorials, hone my skills, and just get better at it altogether. Um, what I hope to get out of it is that eventually it will I'll be able to translate the sculpting of physical uh clay to say 3d modeling and hopefully it'll help me get a job in like the animation industry or the modeling industry modeling as i mean in 3d modeling so yeah
5: i picked up quilting more during the pandemic i had dabbled a little bit with it back in 2018 but i just didn't have time so when the pandemic hit i had all the time in the world um and i started designing different quilts and i actually made a tiny little quilt for my cat's bed and it was really cute So, I would say I've improved a lot so far. Um, Right now, I'm actually working on a full-size quilt. That's a kaleidoscope quilt. Uh, It takes a lot of finessing to get the fabrics lined up perfectly so that each little triangle tile has the same exact pattern on it. But it's really cool. Uh, And so, I'm excited to do that. And I'm actually planning another quilt with all my pink fabrics I've found in my stash. And so, yeah. With quilting, I just like to get a piece of mind out of it. It feels good to sit down and plan a quilt with a piece of graph paper and some color pencils and just have fun with shapes and colors. And then when I finally do get all the fabric I need for the quilt, it feels good to just sit on my sewing machine, sew the day away, maybe have something playing on the tv in the background, and at the end of the day I get a really cute blanket I could just wrap myself up in.
0: Welcome back. We will now be hearing an interview I had with Little Village Busy Bees, which is a club of very awesome people dedicated to crafting and crocheting.
14: I hope you enjoy. So my name is Yasenia Juarez. I'm from Little Village and I I'm a yarn bomber. Right? <laughs> <laughs> I love crocheting and knitting. And as of right now, future goals are, I'm going to school to be actually a high school teacher. Uh, for biology with the purpose of bringing programming like yarn bombing to the high schools what got you interested in that Um, i think for myself i really um i really enjoy bringing others into my craft and i really think that if teenagers had a better outlet and a creative outlet that they can take wherever they wanted to and they could do it wherever they wanted to it would be very beneficial for them with crocheting and working with your hands and doing things, it lessens your anxiety and stress. And it also helps your brain and your fine motor skills. So it's it's just a great hobby to have.
0: Yeah, that sounds really great. And so I know you do the Little Village Busy Bees and, you know, just I, I've never heard of it. But I thought it was really interesting and just, you know, really cool, you know, like the work that you do. So can you tell me a little bit about, like, why did you start that club and just... You know, what was the main motivation
14: for that? Yeah, so I started it back in 2015. I'm the founder of Little Village Busy Bees. And the reason why I got it going was to make friends in my neighborhood that had the same passion as myself. And, you know, it's um, you wouldn't think it, but It's actually a little harder to find um, crocheting friends and knitting friends in the community because I think a lot of us do it low key at home. And not enough of us do it in a public space where others can see and connect. So creating the Little Village Busy Bees and before we used to have a set up time to meet and we used to meet at the Green Tomato, it would give us a chance to get together and hang out and talk about our projects. And it was just a really fun time to explore even new projects, you know, be inspired by other creators and to get even deeper into the craft. So really to make friends and connections in the community, which is really really happened very well over the past few years yeah so what type of people
0: do you see you know attending this club or like the club events so it's been really
14: exciting because i feel like we get all age ranges interested um from very young to very old because the younger ones and older ones if they don't really want to learn how to crochet with a hook they can make pom-poms they can use their you know use their hands to create chains and There's just so much versatility to using yarn that it is accessible to all ages. Yeah. And,
0: you know, you talk about, you know, the children there and just, you know, like young people. So I think that's really great. And, you know, seeing like the people there, like what does making art for yourself, you know, do for you or how does it make you feel?
14: It actually it brings me a lot of joy. Like Mm -hmm. it makes me. So happy to be able to put something out there into the world and for people to be able to look at it and touch it and, you know, um, hopefully be inspired themselves and to bring a little joy, a little happiness um, into the world. So it makes me very happy. And it also encourages me to keep going. Like, yes, I created that. Like, I was able to make this with my own hands. And whether I keep it in my office for myself or I put it out on a bike rack or on a fence for others to either take with them if they really like it Mm -hmm. or uh, to just admire it. It makes me feel empowered, really. And I know you do these things called
0: yarn bombing. And it's the first time I hear this term. So I did a little research and I was seeing how on your Instagram, you you go to different locations and you kind of create these different crochet projects to display. So can you explain a little bit more about why you do yarn
14: bombing? Yeah, so it's actually... (laughs) It gets pretty crazy when we start getting them. So what ends up happening is I'll either be walking around the neighborhood, I'll see a spot, and I'm like, this would go great there. Maybe I could do this or that or the other thing. And then the next, then it begins a series of steps. So then the next step is sketching out everything, getting the ideas, getting the materials, and also asking others if they want to join. So once I have all my sketches and everything, I ask others like, hey, would you like to join and even before that, actually, I, depending on where the space is, I'll ask for permission. So like at Eli Whitney, I'll speak to the principal, I'll speak to Leticia, I'll speak to like a bunch of other people to make sure that it's okay to use the space. Um, and for all of us to be there putting up the art or even like at Tolman Library, speak to the librarian and, and everything, make those connections and then get the approval and just begin. So then we start meeting up. We're having our group meetings. Everybody comes over. I provide all the yarn, provide everything for everybody to make it accessible. You don't already have to have the yarn. You don't have to have any hooks. You don't have it. You don't need to have anything. You just come to the yarn meets and it'll be provided. Um, and then what we do is everybody will get a piece to make. So someone's assigned butterflies, someone's assigned flowers, and then they'll make those before we go to whichever location we will be at so that it's already pre-made. Um, and then if we do need to make some stuff then we'll make it on the spot. But most of the time everything's pre-made and all we're doing is installing that day. So that day is a lot of fun because uh, for myself I do like providing food, I like having music. I like having you know a good time like it's a party we're putting up yarn. it's a good time. Um, When it's cold, we have hot chocolate, you know, things like that. Mm -hmm. Um, But for the most part, I like doing it in warm weather or um, like the one that we did at Columbia College was a lot of fun because it was mostly indoors. It was a lot more more chill during the winter. But yeah, that's pretty much the steps on how it goes. And then it'll stay up for a while. And I really like it when it's close by because then I stop by and I make adjustments or I take something down if it's already looking a little sad and I put up something new. Um, and make slight adjustments to it throughout its lifespan.
0: And so when you do these uh, yarn bombings, what type of public reaction do you get? You know, what are people saying?
14: Well, most of the time, it's a pretty positive response. And people want to know how to join in on the next one. And, you know, if I teach classes, or if I, um, you know, when's the next meeting? Um, But every now and again, you know, you get the disgruntled people. um, But I really try not to... Pay them any heed because most of the time, when people are complaining, it's because they aren't doing anything about their community or they aren't participating in the way that maybe they would like to. Um, so I just invite any of those people to just join us and do something positive in the community.
0: In these events, when everybody comes together for you know the yarn bombing and just you know as a collective, do you feel like you or the people in the club gain a sense of introspection or an, an understanding? of one's identity through this hobby? If so, can you please describe it?
14: A great question. I think for each of us, it brings us a little closer together. And it also brings us a little closer to our neighborhood because our neighbors will stop by and ask questions and we're able to connect with them and answer these questions, you know, as simple as how can I join? Or why are you putting up this yarn bomb? For example, for the Monarch bomb that we did um, back in September, um, that one was because I did a class um, with Monarch Joint Venture uh, through the United States Forest Service. And what they do is they help with monarch conservation and teaching people in the neighborhoods and teachers as well how to conserve monarchs. Um, And so I was so inspired by that program that when I came back, I started having all the sketches ready and everything because I wanted to show our community, the migration pattern of the Monarchs. And so that really got our neighbors' attention. And they were actually able to come out and get milkweed seeds. And um, the Nature Museum was there. And local artists were there, like Jackie Arte and El Valor and Enlace. And everybody just kind of came together to be able to share information about our Monarchs and how we can conserve them. So not every Yarn bomb has such a specific... Um, meaning, but I do enjoy those that are very educational, that are very hands-on and our neighbors get to learn more about something specific.
0: Yeah. And when people do these projects, like when they're a part of them, like, do they kind of tell you how they feel, how they felt, you know, in the process or afterwards, do they kind of express, you know, some comments, feelings, you know, anything that they're feeling?
14: For sure. They usually tell me that they feel together, You know, a lot of the times crocheting is very solitary. so We do it at home. So when we come together, we have more friends and we make those connections. And then, you know, instead of just being on our own, we're chatting through Instagram. Now we're sending reels and we're sending memes and we're connecting to each other. And through yarn humor or through, you know, just getting to know each other and know each other a little better every time we get together. And
0: I think I've been seeing across like the Internet how there's... Uh, kind of like this surge in young people really becoming more interested in crocheting so I guess my question to you is like how do you feel seeing young gen z people in their like grandma era (laughs) (laughs) and picking up more traditional hobbies instead of doing you know typical teen or adult things like
14: partying yeah it's it's exciting for me because when I was younger, I was in that granny era. <laughs> so mm-hmm. it's really nice to see other young people and to be able to encourage them in that. Um, because, you know, it's not just yarn bombing or, you know, you, you can crochet to keep your family warm. You make blankets. You can You can make it into a side hustle where, you know, a younger person will, if they have the skill and the willing, or I should say willingness to learn because skill comes later with practice. If they just practice, they can really, if they want it, make their own business and make their own money and be able to provide for themselves so they don't really have to, you know, look into other things to provide that for them. You know, they get self-esteem and they get, you know, self-assurance and perseverance and they just develop all these skills, I think. So I'm very proud of them. I Whoever's crocheting or doing fiber arts right now, just know that I'm very proud of you and I hope you keep going. And if you want to send me any of your work, like, pictures or you want tips go ahead i'd love to see it on instagram and even through facebook in your club specifically like
0: do you have like an aim to bring in younger people or is there a particular target age demographic
14: Um, the meetings are usually open to whoever would like to join in so we've had younger kids who get their parents like come on let's go and then their parents get into crocheting and you know it's all of us together and you know some elderly as well but it's it's really always such a varying age age range um which makes me happy um but i really would love it if more um high schoolers got involved more younger people who are just beginning um to join you know every every level is welcome i feel like
0: the pandemic
14: is a big topic so i feel
0: like in your club did you see any increase at all in the amount of, you know, younger people joining?
14: I think not so much younger people. So far, it's been like, I think, 20s to like 30s. Mm-hmm. No, probably like 55, somewhere around there. But it would be great to see more younger people. I think the younger people, maybe, you know, they have a lot going on. They've got school and they've got other clubs and other uh, homework and a lot of other things to do. Um, but I think if if we were to have more programming specifically like at the schools and things, it would be a lot more accessible for them to join in, you know, Mm because as of right now we don't have a set like club time meeting or or anything like that. It's usually just for the yarn bombs that we'll all meet up. Um, But eventually it'd be great to have, you know, different classes or workshops at our local high schools and even grammar schools.
0: Yeah. And for my last question, what does, Little Village Busy
14: Bees have planned for the future? I'm very excited. I'm, um, as the founder, it's interesting for me in a sense of there's group projects um, like the Yarn Bombs, and then there's my own projects um, that I work on with other artists. So, future is definitely more Yarn Bombs, is hopefully getting some programming into schools and also doing a couple pop ups, you know, because Busy Bees has to get funded some way. And it's usually through donations it's usually through especially my husband who works it's for myself um, creating pieces of art and selling them to put back into the yarn bomb events so I really appreciate supporters um, like the United States Forest Service and Lasse and others in the community for donating their time equipment um, and also their support it's just really really humbling and um, I'm very thankful for it
0: that was great um, do you have any? last comments
14: anything you want to say um i think just for those who um would like to start yarn bombing start now put something up in your neighborhood make a pom-pom you know a a little pom-pom wreath or something and just put it out there for people to look at it's a lot of fun and i think you'll be pleasantly surprised by the response that you get
0: well that was it thank you so much for joining and you know for talking about Yarn bombing, crocheting, and all these fun things. So thank you
2: so much.
14: Of course. Thank you so much for having me. It's always exciting to get to talk about yarn.
2: Hi, everyone. I'm Maru, aka Flor Laferi, and I'm your host for today's segment on the Chicago DIY scene. The Chicago DIY scene is a vibrant and eclectic community of artists, musicians, and creatives who are passionate about creating and sharing their own work, on their own terms. DIY, or do-it-yourself, is a culture that values independence, creativity, and grassroots organizing. In Chicago, DIY culture can be seen in the countless basement shows, galleries, and independent markets that take place throughout the city. From garage rock to pop, the DIY music scene in Chicago is a space for musicians to express themselves and build meaningful connections with audiences who share their passions. Independent markets are also an integral part of the DIY scene, providing a platform for local artists and makers to showcase and sell their work directly to the public. Whether it's music, art, or handmade goods, the DIY scene in Chicago is a thriving community that celebrates creativity, self-expression, and collaboration. In addition, The DIY scene in Chicago has been an avenue for marginalized communities to express themselves and bring their dreams to life, without relying on traditional institutions or waiting for outside approval. DIY culture has allowed people from diverse backgrounds to create and share their work on their own terms, without the need for gatekeepers or established hierarchies. For many marginalized communities, DIY has provided a platform for self-creation and expression giving voice to those who have been historically underrepresented in mainstream media and culture. By organizing their own shows, markets, and other events, these communities have been able to support and uplift one another, creating a space where they can thrive and grow. The DIY scene in Chicago is a testament to the power of self-organization and grassroots activism, and serves as a reminder that creativity and community building can be a powerful tool for social change. In today's story i'll share my personal experience of hosting a diy drag house show with my friends in pilsen as well as stories from other members of the diy community in chicago we'll hear from a latina lead singer of an up-and-coming band who will share her experiences growing as an artist and of navigating the diy music scene in the city we'll also talk to a founder of the thriving independent flea market based in chicago who will share her insights into the importance of diy spaces and her experiences as a young creative entrepreneur. Through these unique perspectives, we'll uncover the vibrant and dynamic world of the DIY scene in Chicago and highlight the vital role it plays in creating inclusive and empowering spaces for marginalized communities. A few years ago, I had the opportunity to host a DIY drag house show in my home neighborhood of Pilsen here in Chicago. With the help of my friends, we produced a night of unforgettable performances by a group of talented BIPOC and queer drag artists. It was a challenging yet rewarding experience, one that allowed us to come together as a community and showcase creative talents in a space that felt truly inclusive and welcoming. As queer people of color living in Chicago, we had often felt left out of the predominantly white and north side focused queer nightlife scene. Hosting this DIY show allowed us to create a space that centered the experiences and voices of BIPOC LGBTQIA young people like myself, giving us a chance to celebrate our identities and express ourselves freely. It was even more memorable that I was joined by my close-knit group of friends in hosting and curating the show. We spent weeks planning every detail, from designing the flyers to selecting the perfect playlist. On the night of the show. My living room was transformed into a colorful and vibrant space, complete with papel cortado across the room, colorful lighting, and cute spaces for impromptu photo shoots. As the guests began to arrive, I felt a sense of pride and joy in seeing our vision come to life. Throughout the night, we laughed, danced, and celebrated together, cheering on our talented performers as they took the floor. I remember feeling the energy in the room, as the audience cheered and clapped along, fully immersed in the performances. And at the end of the night, we closed out the event with a pinata that one of my friends had made the night before. As we took turns swinging at it, laughing and cheering, I felt a sense of closeness and camaraderie with my friends and the performers. Looking back on that night, I realized how important it was for me to have a space where I could freely express myself and celebrate my identity with people who shared my experiences. It was truly a family affair with each of us bringing our own unique talents and perspectives to the table and as we packed up the decorations and said goodnight to our guests i knew that it was just the beginning for creating inclusive and empowering spaces for the young BIPOC lgbtqia community in chicago i'm so excited to introduce my first interview guest and a rising star in the chicago flea market scene as the founder and host of the gat flea market Samuel Page has created a community hub for young entrepreneurs and makers to showcase their unique finds and creations. Her market has quickly become a driving force in the city's DIY scene, inspiring a new generation of creatives to turn their hobbies into businesses. Sammy is also a student at DePaul University, demonstrating her impressive ability to balance her academic pursuits with her entrepreneurial drive. I can't wait to learn more about her passion for unique finds and the influence the Get Flea market is having on the DIY culture in Chicago. So in your own words, how would you describe the GetFlea market?
15: You've described it even better than I could. You've called <laughs> it like hub of um, arts and young people sharing their creativities and such. Um, but th- th- I guess there's more ways to describe it. So I started at 18 years old in my backyard. I knew that a lot of my friends were like B-pop sellers and, and or were creating art and like kind of wanted to start selling it at that point and didn't really have a way how to at all. And so get um, <clears throat> flea Market started as like a physical platform for them to sell their clothes in the non-traditional way, uh, such as like in person.
2: That's amazing um thinking about you know get flee as a event space or as a space where people can come together in in my eyes it's a very um just a process of you putting it together it very it, it very is like the epitome of kind of like the diy do it yourself um you know thought process and concept how would you kind of describe um the diy scene in chicago in your eyes
15: yeah um i'd say the diy market in chicago has always thrived and if you compare it to new york and la it's better in the sense where you have more opportunity to shine because there is like a less density of people so you're not competing as hard as you would in maybe new york or la you are more so being the star of the show because of the lack of competition. There is competition. It's just not as like heavy handed as in other places. So everyone who wants to pursue any sort of arts, I recommend they stay in Chicago so that they can be that star and not have to compete with people who moved somewhere that's not like where they grew up. Like and being able to represent where you grow up it, it's just a beautiful thing to be able to do. So yeah, I recommend like people like stay in Chicago for that scene so that we can all grow it together as a community.
2: For people interested in attending or participating in the Get Flea Market, what's the best way for people to find out more information or to get involved?
15: Uh I would say the website because it's free and easy to use. It's just www.getfleet.market, And right there, you'll find the application, which is free. Uh, You could fill it out at any time. And on the website, there's also an about me. And there's uh, some press like from news articles. I'm going to include this radio talk on the press as well right after this. Um, and just, yeah, there's a whole bunch of information on the website. And then for live updates, the Instagram is the place to go.
2: Awesome. This has been an amazing, amazing interview. I'm really grateful that you were able to, to make time to speak to us about your experiences, um, and just, you know, your experiences as an entrepreneur and an artist, but also working to create these spaces for other entrepreneurs and artists, um, who are young in Chicago. I am so thrilled to introduce my next guest girl k is a rising indie band based in chicago that has been making waves in the diy scene comprised of three talented individuals the band is an independent force that has captured the attention of music critics and fans alike with their positive energy and catchy hooks their album sunflower court was released in 2017 and since then have continued to showcase their dynamic sound and talent with their latest single, Proven a Star. Today we have the pleasure of speaking with the incredible Kathy Patino, lead singer of Girl K, about her experiences as a musician in Chicago and the creative process that drives the band forward. Despite the challenges presented by the global pandemic, Girl K has persevered and continued to make waves in the music industry. So without further ado, let's hear from Kathy Patino. You know, Chicago still still has one of those DIY scenes that are, is still really growing. You know, like L.A. and New York, I feel like their scenes are very like settled and grounded in, especially since like the 80s. Mm-hmm. Um, and in Chicago, it's still fluctuating, still growing. Uh, new artists are, you know, starting every single day. So, you know, do you have any maybe advice you would like to share to artists who are interested in getting involved in DIY?
16: Yeah, I mean... Definitely, like, I I think this advice is inspired by, like, what I've just been seeing. But if there is, if you're not seeing a space for you, like, make it. Um, You know, there's so many people in Chicago um, who, I mean, in, in the world who will support you and, you know, love what you do. Like, and... And, you know, you should love what you do. And so I I definitely feel like just the whole point of DIY is literally just go and do it. Like start playing wherever you can as often as you can or just creating as often as you can. And like, and really just don't lose like sight of, of making connections like along the way. And I don't even mean that like in a networking sense, but it's just like, you, you just gain so much inspiration from, like, making friends or meeting other people or, you know, having different experiences. Um, I I feel like just being creative and wanting to like, share your, um, your art with uh, other people is just like such a good opportunity to, to learn more about yourself and and about the world, I guess. But I don't know, in my mind, it's kind of like when you're uh, an artist, you're like traveling, except you're just like staying in the same place the whole time. Um, So definitely just keep doing it. Where can we keep in touch? Yeah, I'm on Instagram and Twitter and I'm on, TikTok, <laughs> uh, mostly watching videos, not really making them, but. <laughs> um, and uh, music's on everything that you can listen to music on.
2: Thank you so much for taking the time out uh, to chat today. It was really an honor to have you on today's show, to hear your perspectives and, and your creative process. Thank you to today's guests, and thank you for listening.
9: Have a great day. It's peak. I don't understand what you're talking about. Oh. To form a loose recap, we talked about the game industry and crunch culture and how it affects people who make these pieces of art known as games, as well as personal experiences in regards to burnout. We talked about different types of fabrics and our own distinct fashion tastes. And we even talked about art markets and vending at art shows. Thank you for listening to Aren't You Glad We Didn't Say crafts On WLPN, LP Chicago, 105.5 FM, Lumpin' Radio. It's been a blast. And we'll catch you next time. And I swear, Blue Lock is amazing. And that's the conclusion of our program. Brought to you by the fine folks at. That... Oh, not you again. No.
2: And yo, who let her back in? Ah, 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 ah. And that's a
3: wrap. We hope you enjoyed whatever it is you just heard heartwarming interviews, tear jerking stories, magnificent music, and the sound of our voices.
10: Because
8: God knows that this is the best content on the airwaves. Don't forget to follow
1: YOLO on all their social medias at YOLO KALI. And you can find all our audio content on SoundCloud, Mixcloud, and Apple Podcasts. We bougie like that.
4: Period. Well, that's it. Bye. See you next Saturday from 12 to 2 p.m. for another episode of...